into this power that we could use in all different aspects of our life. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, would you be willing to admit at one time in your life have you tried, especially men, to, to harness the power of the force? Would you, that bag of Doritos, you just didn't want to get up and just kind of pull it? Yes, anyone? A few, uh, thank you, young adults. Yes, that was, yeah. In fact, I think part of the reason that Star Wars actually connects with us is because there is an underlying aspect of our life that we can feel on a regular basis, and I would call it a powerlessness. That in different areas of our lives, at different times, sometimes we feel that profound sense of powerlessness. For example, uh, sometimes we feel an emotional powerlessness. If you've ever struggled with depression or, or walked with someone who's really struggled with depression, you'll know that a powerlessness in those emotions, in that life, sometimes it can be so overwhelming. It cannot, it, we, we feel like we can't get past this. We can't beat it. A number of weeks ago, um, the funeral that was here, it was due to suicide, and the family did ask those who were speaking, they said, name the elephant in the room. Would you, would you speak on that? And they gave statistics of our police, of our, our, our firemen, uh, of our uh, military, of our young adults in this community, uh, of suicide that is so prevalent, so sad. Powerlessness can be really true on that emotional side. How about powerlessness in, on the physical aspect? In, in, the, in the Western world, we, we go to physicians right away. That, that's a, a good thing. And yet, especially when... Uh, Western medicine has no answers. When, when they don't know what to do or they can't solve it, they can't heal it, oftentimes this profound powerlessness rests in us. I know that many of us are there. Sometimes we feel that sense of powerlessness for others. I, I feel that often as a pastor. If I'm, I'm sitting across the way from a, a married couple, and, and they're just caught in that spiral of, of disrespect, words of disrespect or unloving actions, and you can see it, and it's happening, and, and oftentimes there's this fear that how can we stop this spiral down? Sometimes we feel it for the world, don't we? We jump on the website or open the newspaper, and we... And whether it's uh, politics or terrorism or, or uh, uh, immigrants or, or those dislodged, um, sex trafficking, all these ailments in the world. And, and sometimes it's just hard to open the newspaper because of that sense. Our heart is hurt, and yet we have that sense of powerlessness. Did you know that Scripture has a lot to say about both powerlessness and power. And in fact, did you know that the Father's desire 
is that we would not walk in that sense of powerlessness, whether it's in our personal lives or it's in, our, in the world or in our marriages or in our relationships at school or work. No, but the Father desires, in fact, it, it can be said like this, that part of our inheritance as Christians Part of the life that God, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to live in the here and now is not a life of powerlessness, but a, a life of empowerment, of spiritual power and authority. And yet I realize that especially in the Western church, we have not realized that that's meant to be part of our inheritance, meant to be part of who we are. We've spent the last several weeks talking about the presence of God, the manifest presence, that God's desire that our lives, that would be a hallmark of our lives, his presence daily in our lives. And I, I would say the same is true for spiritual power and authority, that that is a way that our lives should look different than our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers, that he not only wants us to be a people of presence, but he's inviting us. He's saying, hey, this is part of the life I have for you. This is what I want for you. I want my power in your life, and in part, that will be a testimony to the world. In presence, we uh, started with beautiful story from the life of Moses, and I thought it would be neat to also start the next couple of weeks talking about um, a power with a story from the life of Moses. Does that sound fun? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's going to reveal some really cool things. Thank you, Mike. It's like a, just a birthday present for me. It, it is, is a that... birthday present. Yes, good. Would you grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Numbers, way in the beginning. Remember, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers, and we're going to be in chapter 11. And when we looked at the presence of God's story in Moses, that was one of my favorite stories of Moses. It really endears us to the person of Moses. He's saying, God, I want to know you. God, not without your presence. It's a beautiful moment in his life. This story, not so much. In fact, it's not flattering really of Moses at all. He's super whiny. He's just wine, wine, wine the whole time. So it's not the, the moment that we necessarily want to emulate. Let me let me show you. We, uh, in Numbers 11, you know, the people start complaining about the free food that was falling from the sky, manna, right? They start grumbling. They, they would really like some meat. They want to go back to Egypt. They're all upset about manna, and they're complaining to Moses. And so what Moses does is he complains to God. Look at verse, four, uh, verse 11. 11.11, Numbers 11.11, and he asked the Lord, so they're complaining to Moses, and Moses said to the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? 
Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, Lord, please go ahead and kill me. A little melodramatic, would you say? Just a a wee bit. Not quite as endearing as the last story with Moses. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. All right, so he's going full-on prophet. He's all whiny, 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 and help God, and it's overwhelming. And so what does God say in response? He does not say, buck up, buttercup, right? even though we kind of want him to say that, right? Don't we kind of just a little bit? He doesn't say that. In fact, what he, how he responds is this incredible, amazing response that's gonna have ramifications for the people of God through every generation. And it should have ramifications for you and me today. Let's read about the Lord's response. The Lord said to Moses, verse 16, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting. Remember, that was the source of God's presence. That was where Moses would come and speak to him face to face. And he's saying, now Moses, you don't just come, but I want you to bring, choose 70 of the leaders of the elders from Israel and gather them together that they might might stand uh, there with you. Verse 17, I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. You see, what's happening here is Moses had actually been endowed with power previously, and Moses was walking in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and yet he's complaining it's wide, and so he's saying, Moses, I will get you help, and and remember the elders, this wasn't a salvation. He wasn't inviting them and filling them with his spirit so that they would be saved or become children of God. It really has nothing to do with salvation in this story, right? What does it have to do with? It's pretty evident, right? Power. He's saying, okay, I'm going to elect these leaders, but here's what I'm not. I'm not just going to throw warm bodies at this problem. I'm going to endow them with power so that they can live as leaders with the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, they consecrate themselves. They prepare themselves And we're going to skip down to verse 23. And it says, the Lord answered, uh, no, skip down, I'm sorry, to 24. It says, so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. 
he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent of meeting. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. Remember, that represents his presence, his manifest presence resting on the tent of meetings. Uh, came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said to Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, now this is going to be important for today and, and the weeks to come. He says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then the old el Moses and the elders returned to the camp. Did you guys know that that story was in the Old Testament? Yeah. That's a pretty fascinating story. Isn't that very much like a New Testament story, right? Some of us didn't even know the story was there, and we didn't know that the, the Holy Spirit was active and alive in the Old Testament. But yes, there's this consistency there that we're going to see, and it's going to be a process and really, it does a number of things. Let's make a few observations and applications. One is that this story, I'd like to argue, represents the heart of the Father for you and for me. It represents the Father's provision, part of our inheritance, part of the life that he is inviting us to live. The Apostle Paul, at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, he says this, Praise be to God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with a few spiritual blessings in Christ. Some of you heard that as wrong because I read it wrong. He doesn't say a few spiritual blessings. You know what he says? Every, all. In other words, he's saying, when you became a Christian, he gave every spiritual blessing, everything that you need for this life. There's nothing that the Father has held back from you, that all of the spiritual blessings of God is residing in heaven, waiting for us to claim and take hold of and live. And part of that spiritual blessing, he goes on, and Brittany, I think our first, the scripture up there, go to the next step. And he goes on to say this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Eyes of your heart. He's talking about your soul. What's going on in here? He's saying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is Paul's prayer. In order that you may know the hope to which you, he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great 
for a few of us who believe. See that? Not a few of us. Who? All who believe. He's saying that you would know. He's wanting you and I to recognize that this incomparably great power that we've seen, this spiritual authority is available, part of our inheritance, should be part of the life that we live today, that we would see it with the the eyes of our heart, that we would recognize it, that we would understand it, we would start inviting it into our lives and living in that way in his power, not a life of powerlessness, but a life with his presence and power. Friends, I believe that especially the Western church, we miss this truth, especially compared to other, where the church is growing and thriving in other places of the world, where people are not turning to alternative things, but they're first and foremost when they're wrestling the situation or or circumstance in life, that they're feeling powerless, they're first... Uh, uh, turning to is the Lord and they're asking for his spiritual power and authority in their lives. And I think he's calling the Western church, I know he's calling our congregation in particular to start to learn and understand and press in and not remain in that area of powerlessness but step into the spiritual power and authority that he has made provision. That's part of our inheritance. Remembering a story from a number of years ago where there was, uh, there was two grandparents and they were a part of our church and their daughter and their grandson, I think I can say his name, it would be all right, Daniels, a number of years ago, and he was only a boy of eight or nine And he was experiencing some extraordinary oppression that even in school, his teachers were going, something is going on. They were wondering about psychological things. At home, the the grandparents that were Christians, there was an element of uh, spiritual attack and even demonic presence and oppression. And the grandmother said, maybe we should invite the church to like pray because this is, our grandson is going through this. And the grandfather, I remember this story, I was thinking of this story because he had been a Christian for most of his life and he was walking with the Lord, but he just had this hesitation about anything that was more spiritual and, and, and oppressive and was wrestling through this. The, the daughter was not walking with the Lord and she was caring for, the grand, for her son, but wrestling. And finally, they had actually connected with Marilyn Henney. And Marilyn, who's a leader here at the church, asked if her and I and a few others could, could enter the home and, and pray. And finally, the grandfather, though reluctant, he said, okay. And we, uh, and we went in there. You were there, weren't you, Sherry? Yes. We went in there, and there was a group of us, and we began to pray. 
And there was a number of aspects that really helped me understand that there was more than just kind of the usual struggle of an eight or nine-year-old boy. I remember his countenance as we prayed. There was a spiritual dynamic and an issue that was there. We prayed in the spiritual authority of Jesus Christ against any powers that were at work in this boy, Daniel's life. And, and to see that boy wrestling and then receive those prayers. Then I went with the boy back to his room and I thought I would anoint um, his room, the walls, with oil and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit, a hedge of protection around there. But I couldn't get into his room. It was packed with, with, with toys and clothes and furniture all around his bed. I, I, I couldn't walk. I, I had to actually step over. I said, Daniel, what's going on? And I knew it wasn't just an eight or nine-year-old not cleaning his room. He was saying that if he kept his room crowded and no room to walk, that when the spirits came at night, he was hoping they wouldn't come anymore if they couldn't move around in his room. There was something going on. We took spiritual authority over little Daniel's life. And I remember walking away seeing that, that peace settle. And yet then I also talked to his mom and prayed with her. And I also saw this rebellion and I was trying to communicate to her that when we live lives that are not consistent with the Lord, it becomes a gateway to evil spiritual power and authority. And I was concerned that yes, he got peace and, and there was testimony. The boy, Daniel, he was, he was walking in a greater peace. There was something that was broke there, praise God. And yet, I was concerned that was, there was still an open door. Friends, the Lord is not, he doesn't want us to respond and go, yikes, I, I don't know about that. I don't know what's going on with that. I, I hope, no, he's saying, I want you to realize that when you've been given uh, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit descends on you, I'm giving you a provision of power to live your life in a different way in every area of your life. Part of the Father's provision. Now, in a very profound way, not only is this stumber, uh, uh, story from Numbers 11, it shows us the Father's heart and the Father's provision. But I think in this profound way, it foreshadows something very, very important for you and I, and that it foreshadows Jesus' plan of empowerment for your life. It foreshadows, it directs, we get to see his power plan 
for you and I. That's what we're going to be talking about in these next couple of weeks is Jesus and power and how his plan and purposes for your life includes the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me see if I can uh, convince you with this. Would you keep your finger in Numbers 11, but turn with me all the way to the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And if you, or you can just listen to me. If you want to just stay in Numbers 11, that's okay. But I'm going to read just a little bit Luke, the first two verses of Luke chapter 9. It's when Jesus has been walking with the apostles and the disciples. Jesus has been doing the stuff. Remember, Jesus was teaching, and the people marveled at the authority in which Jesus taught. Jesus not only taught in authority, but he took authority over every disease, every ailment, every spirit. And then he says, Luke 9 is such a crucial chapter because he says now to his 12 disciples or apostles, he says this, I've been doing the stuff, I want you to do the stuff. But don't go, hold on, listen to what he says. When Jesus had called the 12 together, this is verse one, he gave them what? Power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, the apostles go out. They do the stuff that Jesus does. They're super excited. Flip over one page to chapter 10. And verse 1, it says this. After this, the Lord appointed 70 or depending on the translation, 72 others and sent them two by two uh, ahead of him to every town and place to where he was about to go. And what he was going to do is he was going to tell them to do kingdom ministry like he was doing. All right? Now, I have a question for you. Why did Jesus choose 70 or 72. Was that an arbitrary number? Was he just like, you know what, 50 of you? No, no, I think we've got 60. No, let's go 70. Let's go 70. You guys go out. Was that, why do you think Jesus chose 70 or 72? Free cup of coffee for anyone that, any willingness there? What do you think? What's that? His what? His father picked 70? I would agree with you, but then why did the father pick 70? What's that? Yes? Moses! Yes, was that Connor? Free cup of coffee for Connor. Yes, don't you, don't you think that Jesus in some significant way is saying, hey, I want you as Christians to look back at the story that was involving 70 or 72. In fact, what he's going, if you look just a little bit farther, oh, I lost my place here. If you look just a little bit farther down into Luke chapter 10, it says, after, 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. What was this about again? Was this about salvation of the 72? What was it about? It was about power and authority. And I believe that Jesus was saying, I want you to look back because this is the power plan that I have for you. This plan was from the beginning that God the Father, part of his provision, part of his heart is that you would walk in the power and the authority of the living God, that you would not be powerless against the powers of the enemy. And I'm inviting you here, I'm calling you into life and ministry, and I will give you authority and power to live the life I've called you to live. Amen? And friends, we're missing it. We're missing it. We're stalling out in power. We're not claiming the authority. We're, we're wallowing in lives devoid of God's authority and power. And he's saying, don't you know it's for you? When you're wrestling with this, this aspect of your life, don't you know I want to fill that? I want to lead you. I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. I want to empower you. Now, an argument can be made that it's only for leaders, but I'm going to just let that let that go here, and we'll talk about that next week, okay? Because it's not just leaders. This is what makes the new covenant the new covenant. And we're going to see that in just a, few, um, in, in just a few, few scriptures as we go and walk through this. But the idea is that I, I want you to, I, I want one more principle from this story of Numbers 11, is that when he was sharing this, they didn't just go, okay, well, if God wants to give us power, great. No, he said, you have a role to play. They consecrated themselves. They gathered around the tent of meetings, and then they received power. Friends, you have a role to play. You have, he's not just wanting you to go, well, if God wants to do that in my life, awesome, but I'm open to it. No, that, I don't see that anywhere in, in the New Testament or the Old Testament that he's saying, I have so much, but you have to press in. You have to seek. You have to lean in. I was talking about empowerment when I was church planting in Chula Vista, and we were on a, well, we were on a retreat, I say this, but we we're in my living room, and there's only six of us. We we're this little tiny church plant, seven total, and there was six of us, and we were talking about who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do, and I, I um, and, and many of the folks, they weren't familiar with any of this discussion scripturally. And I was going to give them an option to just, if they wanted to sit in a chair and we would lay hands and, and, and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But quite honestly, I, I was unsure if anyone would say, yeah, would you pray for me, right? These were all brand new people. They didn't know me that well. And maybe that worked in my favor. 
And there was this couple. He was a physician and she was a nurse, Sam and Karen. And they were a wonderful young couple, very sharp. They were raised, I think it was Lutheran. This was brand new. And, uh, and I kind of got the, to the end of my talk and it was kind of an awkward moment. And I just said, would anyone like us to pray over you? And Karen said right away, me. Quite honestly, I thought she would be the last person. Her and her husband would be the last people that say, I was hopeful for some others, but she was ready. Because she had recognized that she wasn't living a life that was empowered with the authority of Christ. And so she just kneeled down in the living room and we laid hands and, um, and there was nothing spectacular that happened. You know what happened? We were just gently praying and these tears started to run down Karen's face. I'd never seen her cry before. I, I didn't know what was going on. And then she began to cry harder and eventually I just said, Karen, what's going on? She said, it's the love of God. I'm experiencing the love of God. He loves me. He loves me. Right there, she was empowered with the Holy Spirit that the experience of his love would change how she lived from that moment forward. There was no swinging from the chandeliers. There was no yelling. There was no, it was this beautiful expression of the presence and the power of God filling Karen's soul. And that was transforming how she lived as a mother, as a wife, and so forth. But imagine if Karen would have not raised her hand. Imagine if she just said, who's this guy? Right? Well, well, okay, God, if you want, okay. Okay, but I'm not going to... No. So friends, I'm going to talk to you about power. But what I'm inviting you to is that you would seek, that you would ask. In fact, we're going to talk about Pentecost next week. And when Jesus was preparing the people for Pentecost, he said this. Go to the last slide, Brittany, the one that we just, or uh, no, go to three more. No, go back. <laughs> there it is. He was preparing for Pentecost and he said this. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Do you know what he's talking about there? Holy Spirit, yes. No free cup of coffee, that was too easy. <laughs> Father has promised the Holy Spirit, but say, stay in the city until you have been clothed with from on high. Kind of like the, the elders were in Numbers 11. Kind of like the disciples were in, in Luke 10. 
kind of like the early church was going to, if you follow through the book of Acts, he was saying, the Father's promised this because the Father doesn't want you to live powerless lives. And notice that word, stay. But stay. It doesn't seem like a very active word, does it? It actually is. In fact, quite literally, it means sit down. He was saying, sit down. Some of the old school uh, Pentecostal churches use the King James Version. It says to tarry. He said, tarry in the city. I've never liked the word tarry. It makes me think of Mary Poppins. But, but it means to wait in prayer. It's this action word. He's saying, I don't want you. He was getting ready to launch them into mission, but he doesn't want them to be launched into life and mission until they are clothed with power from on high. And friends, I think we're living our lives without his power without his authority. And so he says stay or tarry or wait in prayer. And, and there's a number of ways that we can wait or tarry in prayer. And we're gonna do that in one way this morning and the next, um, we're gonna do it in a slightly different way next week. But this is what I'd like to do. There is, many, most of you are familiar with the passage of scripture that says ask, seek, and knock, right? Are you familiar with that passage? Ask, and God will answer you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, the door will be open for you. In the Luke passage, we're told specifically what we are to ask and seek and knock. Do you know what that is? Go to the next slide, Brittany. One more. So I say to you, ask, seek, and knock. And we're going to skip a little bit, still same power of what Jesus is saying. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is not evil but is good and kind and loving, how much more will your Father in heaven give the to those who ask? Did you know that was there? And so here's what I'd like us to do. I would like us to tarry a bit. And I'm gonna ask you to stay seated. And where, yeah, if the worship team would like to, to come forward. But I was, as I was praying and listening to the Lord, I felt like he was saying, would you give them these thoughts? I, I don't know how this is, this is uh, striking you, but some of you are hearing this message and you're saying, Father, I long for your provision. I long for your power. And maybe there is a particular area in your life. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. Uh, 
Maybe it is pouring down rain and you've planned this whole concert in the park and you're feeling powerless, right? That was me yesterday. And he helped me to live what I was going to preach last night, right? Who's the creator of the weather? God. Side, side note, but for you, some of you are like, I, I feel that powerlessness. I, I long, God, to, to walk in your authority. This morning and these next couple of weeks, would you bring that longing to God? In prayer, and I'm going to ask you to do this daily. Would you say, Lord, I, I don't want to live a powerless life. I want to live in your provision of empowerment. Lord, I'm struggling in this area. I, I'm hurting, God. I'm hurting. Would you bring your power and authority? I'm going to give us a few moments of silence. If that's you, would you just pray to him? Some of you... You, you want to be filled with the Spirit. You want to be empowered. But in you, your spirit, you know there's a block. There's a struggle. Maybe there's an area of disobedience in your life. What, what sin does to our lives of empower, when we sin, we pull the plug from the outlet. We cut our lives off from actually both the presence and the power and the peace of God. But here's the great news, is we get to confess that and be forgiven and covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, Jesus takes the plug and he puts it back in the outlet. Now some of us return and unplug it. Some of us are caught. We're, we're powerless in that. Do you know he wants to fill your life to overcome that, whatever that unhealthy pattern, whatever that sin is, whatever you're feeling, that sense of condemnation, and, and, and we're powerless because that plug is just laying on the ground. He's saying, I want to plug that in for you. So some of this morning is going to be asking for forgiveness and allowing him to plug your life back into the power source. And, and finally, for others, this might be the first time you've ever heard this kind of teaching in church, and that's okay. And you might have questions you might have concerns, you might have hesitations, and that is okay. Here's simply what I'd ask you to do. Is, would you ask the Holy Spirit to be your counselor and your guide? He loves to do that. He loves to do that. Would you say, Holy Spirit, I, I'm unsure about this. W would you teach me? It kind of sounds too good to be true right? Would you teach me? 
And I want you to do that as we pray together, just so you know, and then we'll, we'll have a moment of silence and then we'll close with a song. Next week, we're probably going to invite people to be prayed for. Just wanted to give you the heads up. But my, my sense was not today, that, that we would just have some time with the Lord and pray however we're responding, whatever he's saying to you personally. Would you listen? Now, since stay literally means sit down, I am not going to invite you to stand. So could we just have a moment of silence and even let's pull out the keys for just a moment and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to be silent for just long enough where it gets awkward, okay? And then I want you to pray some more. So let's close our eyes. Father, it is almost too good to be true that this is part of your provision for us. Lord, we long to live differently. Would you speak to us? Lord, I just pray against any form of oppression, any voice of the enemy that would want to whisper in our ears. Lord, only your voice, Holy Spirit, only your presence and your power Take just a moment between you and the Lord, however he's inviting you to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are our counselor and our guide. Thank you that you care about our soul and character. You also care about our power. Lord, this week, would you help us to tarry in your presence? Would you help us to long for more of you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Can we stand together 
and respond, the final song of worship and music. <laughs>